I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? We hope you are feeling alive today. I'm Micah Keneally. And I'm Josiah Keneally, and we are your hosts of the Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching the next generation in our world That's today. Right. So thanks for tuning in. It's a joy to come into your YouTube or your, your feed of podcasts. We know there's a lot out there. So we're just blessed to have this time to journey together. Yes. And we also have a very fun guest. They are how many hours? 16 hours ahead of us right now. They are in the future as we record this. It is Tuesday night here and Wednesday early morning where they're at. And Josiah, who is this special guest that you've been able to connect with oh halfway across the globe? Well, top of the morning to you, Benjamin window welcome to the show how are you today hey i'm doing great guys great to be a part of the the podcast it's exciting we're blessed to have some of your time today and just before we kick into things i'm curious and the listener will be as well is today going to be a good day or is tomorrow really for you is it a good day there where you are and and you're asking because we're living in the future in australia yes uh tomorrow is a great day (laughs) tomorrow we're already here and i can assure you everything's all right Hey, that's awesome. (laughs) We're going to have some fun. And uh, you guys know if you tune in, Young Adults Today is all about reaching the next generation. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk some things like future church, Mm -hmm. um, loneliness, anxiety, depression, uh, digital church, the future of the next generations to come. And we launch new episodes every Monday morning early to help you start your week off strong. And uh, so thanks for subscribing, rating, reviewing, and sharing this episode with friends or your leadership teams. Benjamin Wendell joins us today, and he has been a local church pastor for nearly 20 years in both the U.S. as well as Australia, where we're talking to him and thankful for Zoom, where we can interact. Sect and uh, he's you know pioneered Life Place Church and he's known as an innovative and empathetic speaker and writer. He combines really an, an academic mm-hmm. expertise that he brings with deep grassroots experience as a practitioner in mm-hmm. the ministry. So his uh, his work is really helping a lot of church leaders develop generational intelligence with millennials, Generation Z, and he's had a lot of resources grown in this platform and realm. But to kick things off, Ben, over to you, can you just maybe share what's your journey of life and leadership been like that's brought you to today or tomorrow? (laughs) I'm still coming to terms with what you said to me before we clicked record here. I'm just thinking that over when you said like, you know, young leaders, uh, was it like 22 to 28? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought I was a young leader until you said that to me. <laughs> so young, turned, at heart. Turned, young at heart. Me too. Right? <laughs> oh my goodness, it changes quickly. I turned forty this year, uh, but man, it does it does change quickly. Um, but I have been uh, local church pastoring for twenty years. Um, but I'm actually a pastor's kid, raised in the church, so I've been around church my whole life. Um, you know, when I was. I think 17, 16, 17 was a, a key moment in the juncture of, of my life, a key juncture in that journey where a lot of my friends ha- who had been raised in it, walked away from church, walked away from God. And I came to a fork in the road of my own and had to kind of make up my own mind, my own decision. Um, what path will I take in, in life? And bear in mind, this was a 
small church, no youth ministry, right? Nothing, nothing cool or cultural, just a small, normal neighborhood church. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had every reason to leave, (laughs) put it that way. No one my own age, no great ministries catering to my culture. But at a young age, at that age, I made a decision which has become a um, a keystone decision in my life, which was to stay and be part of the solution. I've tried to orient the sails of my life in that direction, that it's easy to stand on the sidelines um, and it's easy to critique and find fault. The church is not without fault and not without plenty of sources of critique. But I chose a different journey, which was if I'm critiquing, it's coming from within. But my struggle is going to be to engage. And I have found that to be a beautiful journey, deeply rewarding and immensely challenging. Because a lot of the things that even as a teenager, I'd look at with my dad and be like, well, dad, why can't you just do this? Why can't you just change that? Uh, (laughs) Now that I've been pastoring for 20 years, I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, (laughs) There there are no simple answers and it's complex because people are not simple and people are complex. And ultimately churches are people organizations, they're people communities. And so you, um, the beauty and the challenge of the local church and pastoring is something that has captivated me for for many years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love speaking into this space of, you know, millennials and Gen Z and the next generation or, you know, the now generation. And uh, I think we have great opportunities ahead of us. I think that's great. I think that's great. Ben, I'm just reminded. So I've been reading and not really studying, but coming across this and I'm like, it makes me want to study it more. And that's just sheep in general of how do I become a better pastor and shepherd for the sheep when sheep are some of the dumbest animals, they need to be disciplined, they need to be told they're hungry, you're dirty, you're wet, you need to be, you need a haircut, (laughs) you know? And it's just like, like you said, like, I don't wanna be part of the problem, I wanna be part of the solution. And it starts with us as leaders and as individuals to recognize like, apart from the great shepherd, we can do nothing, right? And how do we become better people in that process and to be lifelong learners and to to set a trail and hopefully take the next generations up on our shoulders so they can see farther than we could ever see to go and do greater things that we could ever do. Because we're standing on the shoulders of some giants in our day and age, whether we want to realize it or not, we are all a byproduct of somebody else's fruit, right? And I just know that each of us share a deep burden and passion for the next generation, as well as the listener. That's why they're tuning in. That's why they're listening. And Ben, maybe you want to take it one step deeper when it comes to this, but where does this stem from for you when it comes to that deep burden and passion to see the generations to come? Like, was there a moment in your life that was like, wow, I, aside from being part of the solution and getting some skin in the game, is there anything else that you want to expound upon with that? Well, firstly, to your sheep comment, there are a lot of sheep in Australia. Um, are they smart there? <laughs> I haven't spent much time around them, you know, to uh, to know that. But uh, I'm assuming they're just as stupid here as what they are there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, 
a good reminder for all of us in pastoral ministry is that we are all sheep. Yes. Yeah. All of us. And yes, at, at, at times and in a certain way of looking at it, we play shepherding roles. And um, when you look at the uh, writings of the prophets, you know, regarding the flock and the shepherd, um, often the critique of the condition of the sheep goes to the, the shepherd. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. And again, it's kind of the, those sobering kind of, okay, look in the mirror, um, state of the church, state of new generations. Uh, and I'm leading to a point here, and, and it's this. We are so quick to be like alarmist about external crises that are affecting the churches, changes in culture, changes in society, changes in the world around us, all of these trends that are shifting. For the most part, we manufacture our own set of issues and problems. And that's what we're actually navigating through with some of the epidemic we're facing of young people leaving the church. It's less about major external societal changes. And it's more about the condition of the local church. That's a much harder one to grapple with as it is with your own life when it comes to personal change, right? Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. easier to be able to say, well, I am the way that I am because of all of these other areas in my life. But you guys would know this being in pastoral ministry, all of that is true and all of that is valid. And uh, somebody's journey in external circumstances should not be in any way invalidated. But you would know this, at some point there comes a moment where you've got to help people look within Mm -hmm. and own some of their own decisions and responsibility in their life. And I think I'm putting up my hand going, we we need to own some decisions and we need to own some of where we've found ourselves in terms of the church. My, My passion comes out of 20 years of working with young people. Yeah. as a youth and young adults pastor in Portland, Oregon, and, and now a, a young church um, and my own journey being raised in a Christian school, uh, you know, my own family. When I read the statistic from Barna, which said 64% of millennials and Gen Z who were raised in the church have walked away from the church, I'm like, that it's it's like alarming and massive but at the same time for me i'm like no that's that's my own family mm-hmm. that's all of my friends i was raised with um that statistic is not a number to me it's like this is real life mm-hmm. um these yeah. are people that i know people that i love yeah. um and i've seen and watched their journey and so that to me um is a catalyst for a passion to say um what can we do better and differently in this space. That is so good. And you make me really excited and passionate to find somebody who will walk Mm -hmm. with us for this hour segment and journey together with the listener because, man, that Mm. is um, something that I remember being 17, 18 years old, growing up in church, seeing some friends that I grew up with. Mm. You know, because like you, I grew up in church and many of those mm-hmm. people walked away from their faith or church involvement. And I remember my youth pastor getting up one Sunday and sharing that statistic. And I looked around at the service and large church, tons of kids, tons of young families, mm-hmm. every generation except mine. 
And I, I'm like you, Ben, and that's our why. <laughs> the white hot why behind Young Adults Today is we want to do something about it. And so mm-hmm. does the listener. Mm-hmm. You know, their boots on the ground and making a difference mm-hmm. in the work that they're doing matters so, so much. And I agree with you. You're one of the first people to say that on this show that, you know what, the common denominator in a local church is us, mm-hmm. the people. Yes, Christ is at the center. He's the cornerstone. And then we've got to examine, and you kind of call it like it is, because <laughs> we've got to own some things. We've got to be willing to confront the fact that mm-hmm. we can, we're invited into this narrative and into right. this story. And, and I'll go, like, I remember, seems like maybe five, six years ago, I read a white paper. We had never met, we had never talked, but I read your white paper on millennials and Generation Z, and it was phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. And um, we're walking through our own burden for our generation and the next Mm -hmm. one, and we're we're walking through our own calling at that point, and it just resonated deeply. And so I'm curious to peel back a layer of the onion for you of like, why do you believe for the local church, discipling millennials and Generation Z is so important? And why does young adult ministry matter so much? Well, I'll say, I'll address that on two levels. On one hand, it doesn't matter to me that they're young people, that it's Gen Z or millennials. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's my generation. I am a millennial. So like, yes, but... And I guess you always have that resonance for your own your own generation. But if it was boomers, if it was, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> great-grandparents, um, if we saw these numbers anywhere and we care about people, it should matter to us. It's not a small number. It's a major number. So just the sheer size and gravity is enough to move me. Now it just so happens that I am a millennial, so I feel like, when it comes to church culture, I'm like, oh, I can talk about that. I've been around this my whole life, right? Right. Um, but there is another there is another dynamic here. I mean, I guess you could you could lay out a, a biblical theology of youth and why that matters so much and generational pipeline and there's a whole range of um, reasons that you could put in why young matters. But here's just one interesting one, right? Um, they say that at the age of 22, statistically, you will make a life decision that changes the course of your destiny. Hmm. The age of 22 is, is the age and the year when um, social experts look at people's lives and stories. Something happens at that age that cha- it's a fork in the road it's a right. trajectory changer. It changes everything. Now, whether that is actually 20 or 21 or 23 or 19 for somebody, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think the principle remains. There, there's an age and there's a moment and it's right around that point of 22. It was for me. I, like, I think I made the decision to move to the US when I was 21 and become a youth and young adults pastor. Like that changed everything mm-hmm. for my life. Same so yeah. same with you guys, right? Yeah, <laughs> yep. That's it's wild. pretty accurate. I've had this conversation with a number of people and you put out that number and so do people are like, yes, actually, weirdly enough, yes, I made this decision. And, and, and there are reasons for that um, around the age 22. It's kind of like you've come out of school. You're old enough to know a little bit about who you are and maybe make a choice towards your passion. Um, and that's where people give up. I was going to be an accountant and now I've, I've, I'm... I'm an actor, I'm moving to Hollywood. I mean, it's those kinds of like massive yeah. shifts, you know. 
Um, if people are making life altering career decisions in their early 20s, and we are placing them in a church culture that they're rejecting, and they're leaving and walking away from churches in large numbers, what kind of decisions are they making about faith in mm -hmm. God and the church that have lifetime ramifications? And the converse of that is true as well. If we can reach them at that age mm -hmm. and they can make passionate, yeah. resolute decisions to follow Jesus, man, that, that decision can last for the next 80 years, right? Right. That's so good. And I'm just reminded of, I don't remember where I heard the statistic and I can't remember the number, but I know it was under 20%. And once you reach the age of 30, you have less than a 20% chance of even becoming a Christian, of finding your... It may have been the Billy Graham statistic. It might have been. Yes. And they did was... a lot of research around that. And it blew my mind and just, so Josiah is more or less like he still heard the statistics of 66 people walking away. Mm -hmm. I heard it in a different way of like, wow, by the time you reach 30, there's a very slim chance that you were actually going to say yes to Jesus Christ. And to see that, and so when you hear like at a funeral, like so my my step-grandma passed away probably, I don't know, three years ago already, and she was 80-some years old. And I we witnessed to her, we prayed, you know, for her, but she's reject, reject, reject. Oh, well, whatever, whatever. And it wasn't literally until her funeral that I found out that her grandson actually led her to Christ the last yeah. year of her life. And I'm wow. just like... Statistically speaking, you That's an you, anomaly. You broke that mm -hmm. anomaly. Like yeah. so that just blew my mind. So I'm like, that's what spurred me on to say yes to ministry and and yes to that passion of realizing like, holy cow, I'm in a classroom mm -hmm. at age twenty two. I'm now twenty five, interning at a church with young adults, mm -hmm. recognizing and realizing what percentage of people are actually going to put their faith in God. And ages 18 to 30 is what we've defined as young adults. So those 12 years, pivotal, pivotal decisions are being made, like yeah. you just alluded to, like education, um, halfway moves across the world to embark on some crazy endeavor, go backpacking, get into a relationship, get married, start having babies, buy a house, like start a business, be an entrepreneur, whatever those dreams and passions are. And I'm like, 12 years, a lot of life happens in two years, and we've seen that through COVID, but also a lot of life happens for the 18-year-old stepping to stepping into that campus or that 22-year-old stepping up and getting that diploma, wondering what's next? What's next? How do I give my best efforts back towards this world or make myself known or make God's name known if they're a believer? So... Josiah was sharing and sharing your uh, white uh, paper with me earlier, and I have not read it, but I want to. Um, but he he just had said that you had re recently written this with Barna, and one of Barna's new ideas was a series actually on digital church in a lonely world, and I'm just fascinated by that just in general because so many people push back on this, and I'm not one to push back on this one, but I would love to hear this um, more, Ben, if you could just dive into some insight about why in-person community is what we all crave, first and foremost. Why do we crave that? And yet at the same time, we're all up against this challenge in the church to boldly pioneer, you specifically, um, pioneer and innovate into these arenas of the digital solutions, the online platforms when it comes to a church or church community, whatever that is and looks like. Well, 
you know, great question. We have these two parallel tracks, right, that are starting to converge. And one is the digital revolution mm -hmm. that started in my teenage years. And the other is the loneliness epidemic. Wow. And it's not just a correlation. There's causation when it comes to these numbers and, and these trends. Um, we cannot opt out of the digital revolution as a church. Mm -hmm. So it's I'm an advocate me. for we need to boldly innovate in the space of digital. We're behind the game. You know, um, it's got to be more than live streaming a church service. I agree. You need to think in terms of innovation. But we also need to understand the other side of technology. Mm -hmm. Technology helps and technology hurts. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't like to engage in conversations that have nuance or inherent contradictions within in them and hold that tension. It's like, no, 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 you just either everything's online and let's not even talk about this or like, no, online and digital is, you know, Satan. <laughs> let's, let's not do that. <laughs> Again, like we talked about earlier, people are complex. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Culture is complex. So to be able to say, we have a digital revolution and a loneliness epidemic, and these are feeding off each other, is not to say that we should abandon right. key engagement in digital, but nor is it to say we should throw what the church has done historically for thousands of years out in one quick momentary decision. Like for example, think about these numbers, two numbers, put these numbers side by side. Gen Z spends on average a day, 7.3 hours on their smartphones. Wow. That's a big deal, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. But what about when you place this number next to it? 79% of the same generation says they're lonely. Sheesh. And online is meant to be good at community. Shouldn't these numbers play out that the longer they're online, the less lonely they are? But there seems to be something about technology that is burning a hole. Mm -hmm. it's, it's creating and feeding into this lonely, loneliness epidemic. And it is sitting on our culture like a heavy blanket it's harming our souls. And it is one of the major contributors to the decline in mental health. I mean, in fact, one study found, think of this, that lack of social relationships, we're talking loneliness, was the equivalent, had the equivalent effect physically on your body of 15 cigarettes That's, yeah. per day. Yeah. Right. I mean, loneliness, it's, it, it's, a, it's a very real deal. So with digital, we need to innovate and embrace wholeheartedly and even remove the idea that I can just opt out of the digital world. It's like, well, you're not, you're not going to a blockbuster store and getting a video cassette anymore. You didn't get the right to opt out of that. You're not going to have the right to opt out of the digital revolution that has fundamentally changed almost everything about our modern society. But we need to look within that through a lens of innovation when it comes to community. And so what I've done in this piece with Barna and uh, what a great organization Barna, Barna is, mm -hmm. 
is to zoom in on one word. And it's the linchpin word of this entire conversation. And it's the word community. How we, def what do we mean when we say that word, right? Like we can all use the word, but what do you mean when you say it? And what do I mean when I say it? If, if community means this, and this was like a little, I don't know, it just, it concerned me. It, it just stuck with me. Like, no, I, I, I don't feel comfortable with this. If community is like, you know what? Somebody watched a live stream and that's content, but they were engaged in the chat bar and commenting, that's community. And we're ticking boxes. We're like, yes, check. That's mm -hmm. great. That's community, right? Um, why? Because they watched for three minutes and 26 seconds and clicked a heart button. I mean, is that is that how we are defining community? So I went on a biblical journey and I found seven layers of community within the New Testament church. Love it. Okay, Because isn't that where we need to return to get our definition of what community is? Definitely. Um, New Testament church. And I found there were a number of these, when you look at what we've been able to do with online church, we've been very effective with. And I think you can make a case that there are aspects of this that we can do better online, okay? Like evangelism, mm -hmm. the scale of online and where that reaches. Worship, it translates pretty well. Preaching, teaching. <laughs> I mean, I listen to podcasts. Same. Do I need to physically walk into a building to hear preaching? Maybe. No, probably no. Right. right? I mean, I can listen to that whenever I want. Mm -hmm. um, but is that all there is to how we define community? If it is, we're in trouble. Right. Because our model is easily replaceable and not by a live stream. That's not the replacement. The live stream is a piecemeal of... I listen to this worship. I listen to these podcasts. That's always changing. How do we define church community? Well, I found in the layers of the early church that there were three expressions of community that it would seem are best served in person. And they are interpersonal responsibility, inconvenient hospitality, and institutional physicality. Now, the hospitality one we could talk about is to me, it's a big deal um, because I think it holds a key to new generations. Mm -hmm. Food, coffee, warmth, uh, not just concerts, not just events, not just the big service, but how we interact over food and the ethos behind that, the heart behind that, yep. right, is massive. But an even bigger word for me out of these three, probably the key word, is the word inconvenience, okay, inconvenience. Mm -hmm. And um, how would I say? I'm trying to think of how to word this, but in some ways, we've become too good at church. And we can remove all of the friction of what it means to be in a church community. And we think we're helping people in, in some ways we are. Like, let's make it from the moment they enter the parking lot, right? From the moment they enter, you got the person waving a sign, you know, <laughs> the dog reader is smiling. 
they're ready for your kids. You go in and the worship's polished, it's perfect. Message that somebody has crafted to speak into your issues and your needs. And then it finishes and you get in your car and you leave. Mm-hmm. I'm good with it. It's, I've been around it my whole life. But in making it so good, polished, frictionless, easy, have we unintentionally moved away from the grittiness that is needed in terms of what it actually means to have community that is deep and rich? And our parents taught us this, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you got to be a friend to have friends. Be a friend first. We we were taught stuff. You only get out what you put in. Right. You heard those kind of things growing up? (laughs) I know I did. Yeah. (laughs) But the inconvenience aspect means this, that I am willing in my life to inconvenience myself. That's good. For you and your life. And maybe instead of removing the inconvenience from community. So for example, well, it's so convenient. They can watch it online. Yes, but convenience is a dangerous tool. So we need to be super careful. Well, they were polled and they prefer to watch on their phone. I prefer to watch on my phone. If I take out the human aspect, if I'm, if I'm talking content, yes, because I can listen mm-hmm. to something in my car or at the gym. But when it comes to human relationships, are are we sure we want to put convenience at the center of how we build what we call church communities? And if so, are we actually robbing ourselves of this hidden little value, which is this, teaching people to embrace the inconvenience of human relationships? Mm -hmm. Because that's what what provides depth. Mm -hmm. That's where I learned to actually forgive you. Mm-hmm. And you learn to forgive me. It's where I learn to be a big enough person to get around personality quirks in people. It's where I put myself in a community where everyone doesn't look like me, sound like me, think right. like me. Yes, but that's the richness of being within a church community. Let's not make it too sterile, too polished. It, it needs to be real, not clinical. And the third of those, and I'll throw it back to you guys, is this idea of institutional physicality, which is like um, communion. I did a study on the theology of the laying on of hands. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of a weird thing to study, right? But you have to understand the doctrine to understand that phrase. But it's very real in the New Testament. Yep. Like it was yep. symbolic, but deeply meaningful in particular moments and in particular settings of of what that of what that meant but the historical aspects of the christian faith water baptism corporate singing of hymns and songs jesus sung hymns around a table and around food with his disciples we read about that in the gospels Mm -hmm. and here's what i found about singing singing with content is just me singing in my home or in my car singing in a physical space I hear everybody's voices and that's called communal singing. They're two different experiences. 
So I am advocating within all of this that perhaps there are layers to this idea of community that we shouldn't be so quick to demote them and think you can replace it with a phone. In fact, there may be an opportunity where new generations swing back. They're already spending 7.3 hours a day on their phone. Right. And they say, we want to know what it is to actually have richness of community. There's an opportunity there for the church. That's so good. That is so good. And so good. <laughs> then I was just sitting a few weeks ago with a church planter in our area and they just got a brand new building. And uh, we celebrated that. I was like, hey, that's awesome. Like, and uh, what he said stunned me. And it's to your point of inconvenient hospitality. For many years, like almost two decades, they met mm -hmm. in a local high school. And he said that the vibe of the church, and they strive for excellence. It's an amazing life-giving community. And uh, they, here was what he said was the vibe. When people came to their church, they were like, oh, you need my help. We meet in a school. Like we do set up, we do tear down. I'm a part of this community. Mm, like I, yeah. And then he goes, it's the second we, and like they have a food truck in their lobby. This is like some cutting edge stuff that's really fun for families and everything. Mm. And, and they're aiming at that community. But he said that ever since they moved into a building, it was like everything was so polished to your point with the signs and the door holders and mm. everything. He goes that new people who come, they're like, oh, they got it covered. And there's just been a steep incline of like involvement and serving and depth that way with community. And so I... Incline uh, or decline? Sorry, a steep decline, decline. since okay. moving into a building. And so I think that what you're talking about of inconvenient hospitality, mm. Micah, one of the things that drew me to her that I was praying for when I was single in a future spouse, like, Lord, help me to find someone who loves hospitality who can be the hands and feet of Jesus. And man, every Thursday night for about five years in this home, mm -hmm. we've had college students come in and yeah. enjoy a meal or, or feel what it's like to be in a home. And so I think that these mm -hmm. in-person, cool. these, yep. these things that you're discussing, the piece, the white paper, by the way, of Digital Church in a Lonely World, I've read it a couple of times. It is phenomenal. I hope the listener That's will so, pick it up. So kind of you. Thank you. Well, yeah. um, Thank you. That means a lot to me. Your friend who's just moved into a new building, um, congratulations to him. It's a great move. And it's a normal trend, right. actually. Yeah, that, that's a standard normal. Um, we went through that. We did set up and pack down for years. And then you finally move in. You're like, oh, we hated the set up and pack down. <laughs> but we actually lost something in not having it, you know. Wow, yeah. uh, think, about, think about this phrase. The phrase is called touch starvation. I was just Ooh. thinking of that when you when you were describing the last thing. I was like, yeah, yes. True. And, and social experts are saying we are experiencing this en masse. And then when you look at the life of Jesus, I mean, I'll throw out some scriptures to you, like Matthew chapter 8. Jesus reached out and touched him. Right? Then he said, I am willing, be healed, right? Mm -hmm. Matthew 9, he touched their eyes. Luke 4, as the sun went down into the evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus no matter what their diseases were, the touch love it. of his hand healed everyone. It's beautiful. Wow. Right? It's for, for a while that's been in isolation. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's moving. The touch of his hand. Mm -hmm. This is more than content. This is human experience. I think of Thomas placing his hands 
in, in the hands of, of Jesus. Jesus cooking for his disciples breakfast after they thought they'd lost him. Right. And here physically around a fire, <laughs> turning the fish. These are physical, real moments. And you see that then continued throughout the New Testament. It became a key part of their expression. And um, I mean, here's something interesting would be Hebrews chapter 10. We talk about physical church and online church. Oh my goodness, people want to speak about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. So this idea of not forsaking the assembly, right? I, I would not make a biblical case that doing an online church experience is forsaking the assembly. It's too complex to say that. But not gathering was trending in first century Christianity. Wow. And the writer of Hebrews labeled it a bad habit. Hmm. Wow. Didn't celebrate it, <laughs> right? Just because something is a trend doesn't make it right. That's good. Okay. And the author of Hebrews urges us toward each other when times get harder. He says, so much more the day as you see the day approaching. Now, the Greek word for forsake is very emotive, very compelling. In fact, it is the same word that Jesus used when he cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It actually carries a sense of loss and abandonment. Mm -hmm. And if you speak with people right now who are in church, I have felt that way. I have felt a sense of loss and even abandonment. Like where are our, where are our churches? Where are our people? Mm -hmm. And we are being told in, in Hebrews that literally abandoning a part of our Christian responsibility happens when we turn our back on meeting together. Now, furthermore, the word assembling is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's strong language. It describes a binding together. It's more than just a social moment. So again, to be very clear, am I saying that we're not fulfilling Hebrews doing church online? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we need to look at these verses and go deeper, try to capture the energy and the emotion of what the New Testament writers, so we don't get caught up in online versus online. No, no, no. Online needs to be complementarian to offline. These, yeah. these are not competing with each other. But we also need to understand the importance of some of these words and verses in the New Testament that push us towards community mm -hmm. that causes me to give out of my human expression into your life as through years, not just weeks or months, and for you to do the same to me. To me, it's the wonderful part of what church is all about. Wow. Right. That's so good. I'm thinking back to my home church when um, I was under this leadership and they're no longer there because they're actually living in the cities now, but they started a women's event and it started with maybe 80 to 100 women would show up and they just called it like girls night out. Like it was just an opportunity for women of the church or the community just to get together and they're having their weekend this coming weekend or this week actually Thursday It's like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's not even just a day thing. It's become like a conference that happens twice a year hmm. and it's been going for a few years and they have over 1,000 women registered. 
So they were hitting record-breaking numbers coming out of a pandemic or wherever we're at in this pandemic. You're seeing the loneliness. You're seeing the people, not even church people, saying, I need community and I will go with my my teller at the bank because they invited me. So it's just like seeing the salvations happen, seeing the community um, come together and offer opportunities for for women. And they obviously have men's events and stuff like that. But just to see the hunger for that interaction, like you're referring to throughout the scripture and throughout our approach Mm. and ministry. It's like you said, they're not in competition with one another. It's not online or offline. Like it's, it should overlap and come together. And I think sometimes as church, um, we, we feel, we can feel very polarized with our approaches. Right. So I would just ask you, Ben, this, like, have you seen ways that leaders can approach the online ministry as pastoral and not just promotional? Because many times what I've experienced or seen is I don't necessarily even know that an event is being promoted until after it's already taken place. So many of the people that we try to lead, we try to like lead like, hey, mark your calendars. Let, just so you know, these events are happening because so many times young adults are like, if I would have known, I would have come. So. How do we manage that tension of not only promoting, but truly be an online ministry as pastors, if that makes sense? Well, I mean, a few things on that. Um, Firstly, we should not be afraid to challenge people, but the challenge shouldn't be come back to church, right? The challenge is rediscover meaningful community. That's the challenge, like discipleship in the New Testament was relational. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just information or a course. It involved human beings. So I think that we should not be afraid of putting cultural challenges in front of people to say like, hey, this whole deal is more than you just listening to a podcast. Right. This is a church community. And you have a part to play. And in fact, biblically, you have responsibilities. So if you're looking for, you know, a vacation, that's not the idea of a New Testament church. If you're looking for meaning and to make a meaningful contribution, to give something of your life back, then that's what church is, right? That's good. It's not an event. It's not a concert. It's a community. Um in terms of promotion versus the two things you, you said, Michael, what promotion versus. Oh, I don't even know. Kinda, like, I think she was just talking about like many times ministries will like market an event or oh, like, yeah. they're, they're doubling okay. down on like, Better. okay, we'll promote online. But like, hey, what about like pastoring people through right, okay. online channels yeah. or as we boldly pioneer into digital spaces? Yeah, well, if it probably starts with doing less selfies of yourself preaching, is probably a pretty good starting point, you know. Um, and thinking through, like, honestly, we laugh about it and joke about it, but mm-hmm. we need to look at the narrative of what we're painting through social media. Then, mm-hmm. I like to think of it as a digital strategy, which is a spiritual formation ecosystem that is developed that would have a whole range of different tools, uh, apps potentially, 
and so forth that help form an ecosystem digitally that can engage people. And so what apps would that involve? What online platforms and tools would that involve that allow you to meaningfully engage and interact? And there is such a surge in this kind of thing right now that you're like, there's just so much that you can do. I mean, for example, I, I um, am, am a partner with a uh, app called Glorify. Yeah. And it's like morning devotions. It's awesome. If I want to encourage people to do morning devotions, great. Let's, let's do the same devotion each day on, on this and interact. I mean, that's just a, a, an example, but there are so many different tools. I would be looking for ways to create a digital ecosystem. If I'm wanting to pass to people online that allows me to interact on a regular basis, right? That to me is a key part of it is how are we communicating um, regularly and what online tools are there that will assist with that? That's good. It's so it's fun. So I really think the sky is the limit when it comes to like just where we are today. A lot of the listeners are probably hearing things about NFTs, about crypto, or about Web 3.0 that it's like being explored through the metaverse as Facebook calls it or different things like that. And, and I just think it's early. But to your point of if, if our idea is a podcast or a live stream event, it's not very engaging and it's not very interactive. And I think that to your point of not just coddling people in younger generations, but actually challenging them to responsibility, mm -hmm. actually calling them up and offering a challenge. Mm -hmm. And I think that we're going to see that mm -hmm. because this, what I observe with younger generations is they do the hybrid thing beautifully really well like a young adult today mm -hmm. is able to really do some online seminary stuff and then meet up a few times sure. a year and then yep. they're also a practitioner sure. of ministry and and serving in a local church mm -hmm. and yeah. i look at like i think if we can look at navigating hybrid models boldly pioneer i love your phrase of the spiritual formation ecosystem i can't say that i've heard that before <laughs> um but it, but that really excites me because we are seeing people who are saying that they got saved during a pandemic sure. or their yeah. marriage yeah. was struggling so they wanted to give jesus a try or they wow. wanted to give yeah. a local church community so an opportunity to maybe offer hope and help and the laying on of hands or healing and so um that's true when, when i look at my kids and they do online gaming. When I used to do gaming, it was like, you just play a game, but they've all got headsets on, they're all talking right. to each other and it's awesome. Uh -huh. It is actually, online gaming is so far ahead of the church when it comes to community, right? Mm -hmm. They do it so well and they get it. This is not just you're interacting with the game and content. They understand all oh, the ability to actually talk in real time with right. clusters and groups of people. I'm looking at it going, man, I'm, I wanna redo my childhood. Right? Now, call me call me old school, but I would also say this, right? Um, yeah, we can get super advanced and sophisticated with technology. Texting, it's pretty hard to beat, right? You can yeah. do a lot. You can mm -hmm. do a lot on your phone, pastoring people with texts mm -hmm. and group of texts and WhatsApp groups and everything. I mean, yep. sometimes simple, you know, we can think like what tools, how sophisticated do I need to get? Um, sometimes simple can also be really effective. 
You love it. Agree wholeheartedly. And to your point about gaming, there is a friend of ours, John Rush, is at Elevation Youth, and they have Youth Nation Gaming. And in fact, the (laughs) North Central University where I went, where we actually both went to college here in Minneapolis um, for ministry, they are launching right now like a full-blown, I think they're call it eSports, but it's it's gaming. Mm -hmm. And so just from a tweet, I saw North Central announce it. I tag a few of my pastor friends mm-hmm. who are gamers or have full-blown gaming ministries from one tweet, right. boom, a partnership happened. There's cool yeah. things happening. So to your point of like simple as a tweet, it can be simple as a text right. or connecting people who share that commonality. I'll, I'll touch on one other thing that you said is like, because I'm in agreement with young adults of people are starving mm-hmm. for touch they're they're hungrier than ever for community they they want out of isolation and right. into deep meaningful relationships that they're craving and um, technology can be helpful it can also be harmful and we have a six month old today <laughs> and we have a 22 month old today so when the pandemic guys. was zero <laughs> Now yeah. we're like learning You've been how busy. to busy. Well, at yeah, least we you guys have had a good pandemic. <laughs> yes. We have. We have. It's not all been bad. Good. And um, we're thankful to God for that. And these two little girls, I'm mindful now of what we're watching, about what we're allowing into our home. And I was before, but on a whole nother level. Well, how much? Even like half an hour of TV and then it's more, more. <laughs> well, and uh, I've noticed that my iPhone sends me a weekly report of, of like. I hate that report. Uh oh. So you know what I'm about to say. I hate that report. <laughs> it's like every Sunday, I think, right about when we're headed to church, it tells me how many um, hours or minutes I've spent on my phone, like screen time, the screen time report. And right. um, I found, like, I believe you that 7.3 is the average for Gen Z. Right. I found mine usually trends between three and four. And I will just be vulnerable here. Anything above four, and I feel it emotionally. My family feels it mentally. Um, I just don't mm. feel as happy or joyful or myself. And so I'm I'm wrestling with like, okay, mm. I'm putting my phone after this in a drawer for the rest of the night. And like <laughs> I'm experimenting with different new boundaries. Do you have any thoughts or do you relate with that at all, Ben? Or like it's and- it's the modern day cigarette. I mean, you look at the research that's coming out, and that's where I say we can't be over idealistic about technology. It helps Mm -hmm. and it hurts. It's both. There's a reason why Steve Jobs wouldn't give his kids an iPad. Right. Right. And and, and when you look at the tech industry and you start to read about the tech industry, they treat this stuff like cocaine around their kids. Like, yeah, we're dealing this stuff. Mm -hmm. But you're not having it at home because they understand the nature of what they've created. It's not just the hardware. it's It's the software. It's the online platform. So I've read a lot of books around this subject um, and they are designed for addiction. Social media is designed for addiction and you can't win because the psychologists on the other end of this that are helping do all of this, they have too much data wow. that will overwhelm your human ability to resist when they are doing detailed studies over what exact shade of red of notification most triggers chemicals in your brain to want to click and see what it is. Again, they have a mass 
um, some would say the biggest pool of data of any kind of psychological research in human history because of how many billions of people use these platforms. So um, they're designed for addiction. Yeah. So to me, it's like um, this little thing right here enables me to connect with the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. I can bank. I can pay for things when I'm out. I can do business. I can build friendships. I'm doing things like this right here, Emily, Zooming and, and podcasting. We're for that. And it's the devil. Right. All at the same time. <laughs> right? All at the same time. At, at the same time. And that's to me the like, yes, I can believe both of those things simultaneously. So when it comes to kids and everything else, oh my goodness, it's just a constant, constant battle to try and figure out the right middle ground and everything else. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we should just handle these with a complete casualness of, oh no, I'm totally fine. I'm like, no, it's, it's kryptonite. You, it's awesome, yeah. but it's kryptonite. Yep. We have to learn how to discipline ourselves, even as adults or young adults and leaders. And one fun thing that we did, so I recognize that smartphones were a problem and I never had a smartphone until later on. So all of my girlfriends, we'd all get together and I'd say, you know what? I'm like, I'm sick of everybody on their phone. I go, all phones in the middle. So we'd be out at a restaurant. We put all the phones in the middle. I'm like, whoever's phone goes off first, you're paying for everybody. So nobody wanted <laughs> nice. their phone to go off because they're just like, Okay, well, I'm going to tell so-and-so I can't. I'm like, no, 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 phone in the middle, phone in the middle. <laughs> and that just like, like that. that created an opportunity. Like our friendships matter more than who's on the other exactly. line of this for a half an hour. I love for that. For an hour. Like just let it be. I mean, to sit yeah. at a table, like we went out for supper with his sister and uh, her boyfriend a couple nights ago. And the table next to us, like six adults sat down, two kids. I would say two out of the eight people at the table did not have a phone in front of them. Yeah, so I'm like, normal. why in the world would you waste your time going out to spend $200 on a meal and not even talk to the people you're with? I don't know. I value friendships, I guess, more or less. Then speaking of friendships, Ben, we want to get to know you a little more. Are you ready for our fun challenge? It's called Five in Five. All right, let's do it. <clears throat> All right, yeah. so question number one. We got five minutes on the clock. What is your favorite road trip snack? Well... Uh, for me in Australia, it's not just road trips, it's long haul flights. I just got back from the US, you know. So I'm like, I haven't escaped my childhood. I'll go, I'll get chocolate, I'll get candy, candy I'll, I'll get Pringles chips. Anything that has sugar in it serves me well on a road trip. There you go. All right, that's good to know. That's fun. You're not picky. Nope. And uh, what's something fun that you're into? Maybe hobby, leisure, weekend? Like if you had a day off, what would we find you doing? Well, at the, at the moment, um, my, my kids are getting into crypto yeah. and NFTs. Yeah. And so it's kind of, it's a fun thing right now in my life is I'm learning about NFTs and crypto mining and like this whole other world for me from my kids, That's you know, cool. and it's actually a lot of fun. I find, I find that whole um, industry really fascinating and intriguing. And, and so I've, I've been having a lot of fun learning something from my kids that's amazing see i love it I, we we like to learn about that those subjects too it's fun yes we sure do okay question number three here's the curveball if you could ask josiah and myself one question today what would you ask us if i were to ask you one question okay um 
in relation to our subject matter or like anything personally personally marriage wise non-ministry anything yeah uh well because i'm just getting to know you i'd probably ask about where you live and what city it is and what it's like living there you know because i haven't been to your home state mm-hmm. yeah so that's yes. my question. Yes. Tell, yes. tell me about yes. where you live. I'll, start, you I'll tell you off. a little bit. Mike is from a state away. She's from North Dakota originally. We live in um, Bloomington, Minnesota. So our airport is MSP. It is like less than five minutes from our house. Mall of America is a major attraction right here. Mm-hmm. We have every professional sports team. If you come here, you're probably going to want to live here. But <laughs> there's 10,000 lakes. So people literally drive their Ford F-350s. That's like a really big truck. And they'll park it on a lake in the winter and they ice fish. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not like one of my favorite activities, but people do it here. Yeah. People for sure. How do you know that the ice is strong enough to hold a vehicle? You never do. And uh, every year, <laughs> insurance companies won't pay out a claim unless you hit a fish. No, I'm just kidding. They, 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 won't. Like, really? <laughs> they, don't, they don't pay out claims on if you like sink into a river. Well, well yeah. I don't blame the insurance companies. I wouldn't either. But most of them are on lakes and they do freeze solid. So when it's yeah. 40 below here and they're on the lake, they, I think they'll be pretty okay. <laughs> it's just they, they wait too long to get their ice houses or their fishing houses off the water. And then they find themselves in a pickle wondering why they can't get it off because... Well, it's April, my friend. It's spring's coming. Get your get your stuff going. Um, yeah. What would I say? I would say one thing about Minnesota. There's this saying here. It's called Minnesota nice, and it people are very friendly mm. here on some levels. But there's also this passive aggressive behavior where it's like they will okay. invite you somewhere, but they'll never give you the address to their home. That's kind of a saying here. Well, I'll tell you what we're doing, but I'm not gonna ever like give you my address it's like people are super <laughs> kind so if you stop anybody in anywhere like they will give you directions anywhere except to their own home yeah so mm. i moved from north dakota which is a small town 1200 people graduating class of 34. so when i moved here everybody's like mikey you are not you're not being minnesota nice i'm like well here's a good thing i'm not minnesotan <laughs> So like overall, that. very active, uh, I would say, state, very health, uh, health aware of from all the trails and all the outdoor activities from, I don't know, kayaking, fishing, anything on the water kind of goes, lots of trails to run and hike and bike and stuff. So I would say overall, very active. I think I would say it, the state is overall. Our big man on our basketball team, the Timberwolves, Carl Anthony Towns, he just won the three-point contest for the NBA. I watched it. Yep. Yep. I'm amazed that somebody so tall is so good at shooting threes. Oh my gosh, he's incredible. The crazy thing is he uh, actually used to attend uh, the church that we attended and I didn't know who he was right away. So I'm like shaking his hand, saying good morning. And and then while during worship, he's like sitting down while everybody else is standing and I still feel dwarfed. I was like, this guy's sitting behind me and I'm as tall as he is now. <laughs> and here it was him. Just, I was like, do you know who you said good morning to? I go, yeah, that big tall guy. <laughs> That's cool. No, no, no. That is Carl Anthony Towns. I'm the like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that is cool. Um, oh, back to four, you. Sorry. Yeah, back to you for question four. <laughs> so, if you could go back in time, which we know is not possible, but you could tell your 20 year old self anything, it could be sky's the limit. What's something that you'd you know give a 20 year old or your younger self advice with? That's good. Well, you know there. Those ones are always tough questions because I think you have to look back retrospectively 
and take the good and the bad and the whole journey and say it's what got me to to this point right now you yeah. know so i don't think i'd tell my 20 year old self what to avoid or what not to do because you're like it's ultimately what makes you who you are i think i'd probably tell my 20 year old self you know enjoy the people along the journey that's what makes life special that's good all right ben here's the last and final question what is a word of encouragement for those who are leading young adult ministries? If you could leave them with one thing today, if we handed you the microphone, what word of encouragement do you feel like God's been pressing on your heart? Or maybe he's put an anthem in your heart for the next generations. You're working with a great age group. It's a good age to be working with. You can really make a big difference in a small amount of time. You're at the intersection of culture faith and religion and a, a whole lot of trends that I think make, make for an exciting mix of ministry. Yeah. Um, as best as what you can, I would say shut out. Uh, how do I say? Focus on credibility, not celebrity. Mm, that's good. Love it. As best you can resist the celebrity trend don't worry too much i mean everyone wants to look good right but don't worry too much about how you look the cultural piece of it all and how you present be a credible leader not a celebrity leader it takes you further in the long run i love it wow i love it well, Ben, we just want to say from the bottom of our hearts, thanks for your investment into Micah and I and mm -hmm. into the community. Is that just Minnesota nice, though? No. Nope. He's always smiling. People <laughs> ask me, they go, Micah, is he really always this happy and smiley? I go, yes. So like, what do you do to get him mad? I go, you know what? It takes a lot to get him even worked up. So I go, good luck. Oh, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. Hey, if you ever find yourself in Minnesota, I love to pick leaders up at the airport and um, just bring them around. So you got you got a resource in your pocket, or you got twins tickets awesome. if you if you ever need them. But there you go. Awesome. <laughs> we will make that happen one day. That sounds like a lot of fun. But again, thank you so much for investing in us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you to you guys. Thank you to your listeners. It's been a great joy. Well, and if you want to find out more about Benjamin Window, the work he's doing with his church or with Barna Group, his white paper, Digital Church in a Lonely World, we will link those things in the show notes. So until next time, this is Josiah and Micah signing off. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.